0: inside of organizations where there is a speak-up culture, people feel encouraged. I like to think of speaking up as it's like making the decision as a wrestler to like open the ropes and go into the ring and the lights are on you, even if it's a one-on-one conversation, because speaking up never is without fear.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the
2: Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business,
1: and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Googleization Nation, you are going to want to stop doing whatever you're doing and pay attention to today's episode. We are so fortunate that Stephen Shadletsky, Agreed to stop by the show. And while this might be the first time you're hearing Shed, I'll guarantee you it won't be the last. I'm also guessing that most of you are familiar with Shed's mentor and friend, Simon Sinek. Yeah, that Simon Sinek, the one that has a million and a half YouTube subscribers and 60 million TED Talk views. Well, Shed was just the fourth person to join Simon Sinek's team in 2011. He went on to hold the roles of chief of staff to the CEO and head of training and development. During his time with Simon Sinek, he found his purpose, his why, in what he now calls a speak up culture, which is also the title of a new book coming out next year, Speak Up Culture, When Leaders Truly Listen, People Step Up. But before we get to shed, it's time for our perfect labor storm segment. On each Perfect Labor Storm segment, we focus on just one disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. Today's Perfect Labor Storm topic comes from Gallup's Global Emotions Report, and it's definitely worrisome. Let's start here. Did you worry a lot yesterday? Did you feel a lot of stress yesterday? Did you feel sad yesterday? Did you feel angry yesterday? Did you feel physical pain? Yesterday, Well, guess what? More than 120,000 people worldwide were asked that question. And more than five times they affirmed that they felt sad or angry or worried or were in pain. Five times. That's crazy. So according to Gallup, they accumulate this and they have what they call the negative experience index. And it hit another record high in 2021. And for those who just want to flip this off, and this is just one more piece of collateral damage from the pandemic, the negative experience has been on the rise in the workplace since 2006. For the last 16 years, here's a few more details. What Gallup found: four out of 10 people were worried and stressed every day. Three in 10 experienced physical pain. One in four were sad. One in four were angry. So, Jason, you and me and And Shed and a lot of other people talk about culture day in and day out. When the experience that employees feel every day is filled with worry, stress, sadness, anger, and pain, you got to stop and ask yourself, is that the type of culture you want? Because it is certainly the type of culture many employers have.
2: And the name of Shed's new book, as you mentioned, Ira, it's Speak Up Culture. Well, folks are speaking up now like they never have before about unhealthy work cultures and experiences. We review the data around them speaking up each week now on our Perfect Labor Storm segment. And it seems like the questions are number one, are leaders truly listening to what folks are saying? And then number two, what are they doing about it? Because ultimately it's a two-way street, right? I mean, these aren't pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of problems we're facing right now. Good luck to the leaders and employers who lead with that kind of sentiment. We're just placing the responsibility on the employees to just get over it and figure it out. Those times are long gone. Leadership always means looking inwardly first, and this requires examining the employee experience and making the needed adjustments in your work environment to produce inspirational environments where people can and want to do their best work. And that's why I'm super excited that we have Shed today so that he can, no pun intended, shed some light on the situation for us.
1: And right before we bring Shed on, just a reminder, everyone if you're listening and you want some SHRM credits, PDC credits, simply go to GoogleizationNation.com. Uh, if you're not a member yet, please subscribe. You can go up to the right hand corner. And under resources, you can click on podcasts. And underneath that, there is a link through a questionnaire. We just have to have you answer a few questions to make sure you actually listen to the episode. And we'll send you the activity code in return, and you can earn anywhere between a half and a full credit, depending on the episode. And while you're listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, please leave a review and rate how we're doing. And without further ado, I think it's time to bring on Shed. So Shed, you sent over some preliminary information, and I can't remember if it was on there or whether reading some of your other articles or blogs. But there was a quote, and I want to start here, because I think this sums up a lot. As a leader, a whisper is a shout, and everyone is listening. Can you elaborate on that? The more influence one has in
0: a culture, influence can be authority or title or power. Influence can sometimes be, you know, I've been inside organizations where I don't have title or authority, but I have influence, and I influence those who have title and authority. And so as a leader, especially if you're in a formal role of leadership, you have power over others. Power as defined by my friend Tiziana Cachiaro in the book Power for All is when you hold possession over desired resources, whether that's money, job opportunity, right? Power is holding possession over desired resources. If you have power, you have influence, And as a leader, a whisper is a shout, and everyone's listening. So a fun little example of this. Let's say, you know, Ira called your office looking to get a hold of you. Your EA picks up the phone, and I say, hello, I'm looking for Mr. Wolf. And they go, who is it? And I say, it's Steven Shedletsky. And they go, one moment, please. And they peek into your office, and they go, hey, Ira, it's Shed on the phone. Do you want to speak with him? And you go, tell him I'm not here. You've just said everyone in this firm can lie, right? A whisper is a shout. And so for leaders who hold a position of authority and aren't aware that their whisper is a shout and everyone's listening, they are at risk of abusing the position that they hold. And so if you've ever walked into a room and you notice that the dynamic of the room changes, you just might be the alpha. If you are meeting someone and you get the sense that the people on the other end are nervous to meet you, you just might be the alpha. And that alpha comes with responsibility.
2: Let's talk about your journey. Can you fill us in a little bit of how this became your why in the world? So my why is to engage with people in
0: meaningful ways so that we connect with depth and live in a more fulfilled world. I love engaging with people in meaningful ways. Meaningful, I describe as both light and humorous, as well as depth and intimacy and the real goody goods. I did a gig last week and someone who happened to be a chief diversity equity inclusion officer of a large multinational company said to me, you've picked the wrong vocation. You should have gone into comedy. And I said, what do you think I'm doing up here? Like this is comedy. Purpose is just a side gig. But I'm a big believer. I love humor. And I think humor is a great way to make things stick and be memorable. And then on the impact side of of the reason I show up and strive to engage with people in meaningful ways is connect with depth and more fulfillment. So for me, I love it when individuals and leaders build deeper relationship with self. There's no mistake that every single leadership development program out there all starts with a a module on leading self, self self-awareness. Duh. Leaders have to find their own security. Leaders have to fine-tune their own instrument before they can help others fine-tune and play theirs. So connection is about connection to self, connection to others, and then connection to the world around us. And when we use our strengths to contribute towards something bigger than ourselves that we care about, that's fulfillment. And I'm a junkie when it comes to pursuing fulfillment, as opposed to the pursuit of happiness. For me, happiness is a fleeting emotion. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're not happy, but we can actually be both unhappy and fulfilled at the same time. When we're doing something that might be hard, When we actually might be grieving, but yet we're surrounded by loved ones, we can still feel fulfilled during hard, painful things. And then to answer your question head head on, Jason, I first came across this body of work very much founded by Amy Edmondson on psychological safety. I first read about psychological safety in Adam Grant's book, Give and Take. Simon Sinek wrote about psychological safety in his book, Leaders Eat Last he coined it the circle of safety. I think sometimes it's more dynamic than a a circle. Sometimes it's like an amoeba (laughs) of safety. It's dynamic. It's not always such a clear-cut circle, especially with remote and virtual and hybrid work as well. And I've had experiences in my life and career where I've been in relationships where there's strong psychological safety, and I felt that it's worth the risk to speak up. And those are glorious relationships where you can expand the boundaries and explore new things and innovate. And then I've also been part of relationships where the more I spoke up and the more I shared, the worse it got. I mean, the definition of a toxic relationship in my mind is one in which the more you invest in it, the worse it gets. And the only person who's responsible for those bad results is you. It's like, what? That's a toxic relationship. And I've been in those. And so I've seen firsthand, not just from an individual health perspective, but also the health, well being, and the performance and results of a firm on whether there is psychological safety in a speak up culture. And if there's not psychological safety in a speak up culture.
2: And typically, Shed, myself included, when I hear like toxic culture, things like that, I tend to think in terms of negativity. But in some of the correspondence you had with us leading up to the show, you also used the term toxic positivity. Can you share with us and our listeners a little bit on that concept and how that ties into psychological safety?
0: Oh, I would love to. I mean, first and foremost, I think we can define what I mean by a speak-up culture. For me, psychological safety is the input to get us a speak-up culture as an output. And what a speak-up culture is, it means that we have organizations or environments in which people feel safe to share ideas, even if they're half-baked, to share concerns, even if they are unpopular, to disagree, even with senior leaders, and to even admit mistake without fear of significant retribution. I heard a story recently of there was a an issue on an oil rig. Someone probably installed a drill bit incorrectly. There was significant damage. Captain of that oil rig said, we need to know who's responsible for this so we can learn from it. Someone said, it was me. Captain said, thank you, you're fired. That is a wonderful way to ruin psychological safety. Now, if that captain said, we need to find out who's responsible so that we can take appropriate disciplinary action, that's fine. But you said, we need to figure out who's responsible so we can learn and improve. Well, you just fired the person who can help you learn and improve, unless that's a really good exit interview. And by the way, what do you think is going to happen next time someone messes up? Because we always do because we're human. And so the other side of psychological safety would be psychological danger. This is when you have cultures where people share ideas, concerns, disagreements, even mistakes, and the result is either repeated ignoring or worse punishment. And if people are punished for speaking up, all of a sudden you're in a culture of silence and nodding heads, especially on Zoom with everyone on mute. That doesn't mean consensus. That means people might not be safe to actually speak up share their real ideas concerns disagreements and mistakes so gaslighting is the evil first cousin of psychological safety and what gaslighting it's typically a person in a position of power again that whispers a shout and everyone is listening and i come to you jason as my leader and i say hey I, i'm feeling this way and you essentially say no you're not and i'm like no no but like i'm feeling this way you're not feeling that way It's like, no, I'm pretty sure I am. Gaslighting is when you deny the experience of another. Toxic positivity is far more subtle. An environment that is toxically positive, and I learned about this from Susan David, who wrote the book Emotional Agility. It's when we can only talk about good stuff and only talk about the future. So, hey, you know, leadership team, can we talk about the fact that 40% of our employee base has been laid off In the past quarter and that i'm grieving no we can only talk about the future and to deny human beings of the full spectrum of the emotional landscape you can very quickly create a toxically positive environment it denies anger fear sadness those opening stats that you both shared which i totally believe i think we need to create safe spaces in our places of work where leaders can hold the space to to say, you're angry, you're frustrated, like, let's go there. You can actually use those emotions as a source of truth and power. Ever felt better after a hard conversation with a colleague or loved one? That's using real negative emotion to propel and find a better way forward.
2: And in the toxic relationship, typically one of the first things you hear is it's not me, it's you. <laughs> it seems like. There's a lot of that going on in terms of employers saying, it can't possibly be our work environment and culture. It's you. Your demands are way too high. Ched, in your opinion, do you feel like we're nearing a tipping point where things are going to start to be taken more seriously in terms of employee experience and that leadership really is starting to understand this and invest in it instead of just saying, this is your problem. You're entitled. You just need to get over it. Do you feel like we're heading in the right direction?
0: I do. And I think the great resignation or great talent shuffler, or whatever you want to call it is a representation of people voting with their feet. I think we're in a great awakening. And I think there is a, a shift in the paradigm to more demand being on the side of, of employees. And I think people now more than ever are in a place of choice. And I think people are choosing flexibility. People are choosing healthy, good culture and good leadership and are will, even willing to sacrifice pay to go into environments that are far healthier. I even have great hope and optimism seeing those hearings with the union president from Amazon in in New York. I'm blanking on his name, but that was an amazing display of leadership. I think now more than ever, it will be increasingly become a competitive advantage to have healthy, good cultures with good leadership, psychological safety, and flexible arrangements.
1: Chad, I've been struggling with this. When we talk about culture and everybody's trying to create whatever their culture they're trying to create, is how do you measure it? Culture is pretty abstract. And my belief is organizations really need to focus on the employee experience as the metric. You can measure if people are worried and angry and sad and stressed out. And this fits back into the psychological safety a little bit. How do we measure that? How do you measure if you have a psychologically safe environment, because it's one thing to say that we want it and we do it and everybody nods their head and says, yeah, 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 I feel real safe here. But how do you really measure it?
0: So a couple of things. So one, I actually have an equation for culture that I'm playing with and writing about right now, which is good fun, so I'll share that and get your feedback and opinion on it. Also, it's dynamic and sticky and tricky because our experience of an organization can change based upon the part of the organization we're in. You know, you and I can both report into the same leader and you could feel that there's great psychological safety and I could feel that there isn't. So it, it, part of the challenge with this stuff is it's not binary, it's a spectrum and your own opinion matters. A colleague of mine, one of my first ever mentors, Leanne Davy, who wrote the book, The Good Fight, and she has the concept conflict debt. So my first internship, she was my boss's boss. And she's been an amazing friend, an amazing mentor. So she talks about, she debunks psychological safety a little bit because there's legitimate psychological danger, legitimate toxic relationships. We're like, you know, that there's, you're doing everything in your power to try to make it better. And the only person who's made wrong is good old inverse George Costanza. It's not you. It's me to your point, Jason. It's you, not me, you know? Well, you know, I have news for you. You put a cucumber and pickle brine 10 times out of 10, that thing's going to turn into a pickle. And some pickles are delicious and some pickles should never have been made. The environment, the culture matters. And, you know, how long can leaders say it's not us, it's the people? Like, listen, sometimes that happens. But all of a sudden, if it happens twice, you have a pattern. And any pattern is worth examining. Like, you know, employee net promoter scores, great. You can do some psychometric analysis, getting a sense of the chatter. I'm a little weary of some of the power of some of those tools, but if done well and with good ethics, there are some good tools there of getting a sense of what the chatter is in the slacks, in the emails, et cetera. There's good pulse surveys, but like a simple one, when I've enjoyed working in an organization, I would most definitely refer it to a friend. And there have been times when I've been parts of teams and I'm like, don't. Don't, don't, don't. That's a little quick metric of, is it a good, healthy, positive, generative culture or not? The equation that I've created for culture is culture equals, in brackets, values multiplied by behavior to the power of influence. That's where this whispers a shout comes as well. So, I'm a fan of values. I think we ought to, as individuals, teams, and organizations articulate our values. I think values are stronger when they're articulated as verbs or action phrases. Now, anything multiplied by a zero is a zero and anything multiplied by a negative is a negative. So if you multiply your values by you're not behaving it, that's a zero. If you multiply your values and you're actually living opposite to the values that you've dare articulate printed, whatever you now likely have a deleterious toxic culture. And then I raise it to the power of influence because the more influence you have in a culture, the more your own individual values and your behavior matters. It matters more if a senior leader behaves outside of values than if someone junior does. And I've seen organizations, the culture completely shift where they bring in a new senior leader whose values are different and it's a different culture for better, or for worse.
1: Are there any organizations that are doing, or leaders maybe more specific, doing a really, really good job? And if there's any that have really transformed the organization into one where there's a reasonable degree of psychological safety and not toxic positivity, but general positivity.
0: Yeah. And general positivity also, or optimism, is a belief that things can be good and better and that there's light at the end of the tunnel, even if we're stuck in a dark one right now. It's not blind positivity. I think there's a nice link between optimism and a growth mindset. I think one greater example is Microsoft. Microsoft under Gates, very visionary, very infinite-minded from Simon Sinek's terminology. Microsoft under Steve Ballmer, far more finite and competitive and toxic, which is why I don't evaluate companies, I evaluate leaders. Now, it's such Sachin Adele at, at, at Microsoft doing amazing work. Talking about model coach care, leaders are expected to model the behavior that they wish to see in others, coach others, exhibit care to others. What I've heard from Satya and what I've seen and experienced in Microsoft's transformation is they're an organization that had it lost and has it again.
2: Shed, you, you mentioned earlier that we got to get clear on the values, right? And it, just a funny story about that, how sometimes we think we're clear, but we're really not. My oldest son is eight, soon to be nine. He plays baseball. So he's coming up to bat and he's on deck. He turns, I'm in the bleachers, and he's just staring at me very intensely, like a bull that just saw a red flag and he's just ready to come charge me. And the other parents in the stand are like, he's really angry at you. (laughs) I "I I know. I don't know what's going on here. So he's still, he's just staring at me and he's making this weird, like facial gesture, like almost like locking his jaw and I'm like, he's really upset about something. So after the game, I asked him, I said, why were you so angry with me? And he goes, wasn't angry with you. I was trying to show you like how I could blow a bubble with my bubble gum now. So I just shared that story to say, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, communication is so key. And sometimes we think we get it and we think we know what it is that we're rallying around. But if you're an organization that has not articulated the specific behaviors of what the the examples you gave of integrity, you've got to back the truck up and do that because ultimately those values are what you're wanting people to live out. And that's what's going to drive value for your business. What's the biggest challenge that you have seen still with organizations that are struggling with developing a speak-up culture? Is there one particular thing that's getting in the way of that speak up culture from really flourishing or blossoming?
0: Yeah. So for, first off, just to double click on the story you shared I think is brilliant. You could say one of the, you know, the Cochran family values is assume positive intent, which means when you go to your son after, instead of saying, why are you angry? You could say, Hey, wh- what were you doing? Like you're assuming positive intent, which means your talk track is different. You're saying, I'm not assuming he was angry. I'm assuming he was doing something and attempting to communicate. For all, you know, there was a gap at third base and the third baseman was playing deep and he was going to lay down a bunt, but he was chewing bubble gum. Like that's awesome. And the way for organizations, if you've yet to articulate your values is to ask people to share stories that make them feel proud to be a part of the team or the organization. And it's through those fables and stories because we're a fable based storytelling species. That's how we grow and learn from prior generations is through story. To answer your question, Jason, there's a great quote from Frederick Leloux who wrote Reinventing Organizations. The quote is The consciousness of an organization will seldom, if ever, surpass the consciousness of its leaders. Right? An organization cannot outgrow the consciousness of its leaders, I would say. And so oftentimes it's the lack of awareness, maturity, growth of the leaders. The other is sometimes you can have amazing leaders, but broken systems. So I was at an organization last week, large multinational organization working at a fairly senior level. And we were talking about diversity, equity, inclusion. And one woman, a senior leader, white woman said, I'm doing my darndest to help meet our DEI targets. I'm doing our darnest to help us reach our goals, but it's so hard for me to hire external. And it's like I'm trying to recruit and bring in people that are diverse and different than whom I have, and I can't hire external. There's so many things working against me to hire external, which is no matter how hard you're trying, you're working against maybe not a broken system, but a bureaucratic layered system. And where we landed was. Yes, there are some broken systems or systems that are getting in the way that we need to address, but we can't wait for them. So in the meantime, if we actually created a better culture that retained the people who were already in place, we would hit our targets. So as opposed to only looking external, love the one you're with and let's create a better environment and culture so that the people that we are able to hire, promote, whatever it might be. I actually want to stay. So I I think change in an organization is across three levers, mindset, actions, and systems. So a shift in mindset, this is a very wise quote from the Broadway production of Kinky Boots. You can change your world when you change change your mind. But it's very true. I'm skeptical of people who say I'm transformed, but haven't had a transformative experience. Like what was it that triggered that for you? There needs to be A conversation or an experience that allowed you to shift mindset. Actions, and you can actually act your way to new thinking. David Marquet, who's the retired US Navy sub captain, he wrote the book, Turn the Ship Around, has a brilliant story of how you can actually act your way to new thinking. In short, he wanted to create a culture of pride, on board the sub that he took command of called the USS Santa Fe in 1998, 1999. And he made a rule. It was the worst rated ship in the entire US Navy fleet. And he he wanted to circumvent and create a feeling of pride on board, quite frankly, to fool auditors and evaluators. And so he made, because anytime an evaluator or an auditor is on board, they're a guest and you don't know that they're an auditor or an evaluator. It's like a mystery shopper. And so he made a very simple rule. If anyone comes on board who's a guest, you must stop them in their place, make eye contact with them, shake their hand, say what your name is, say what you do on board the ship and say, welcome aboard the Santa Fe. That's a rule. And at the end, the evaluator said, wow, everyone feels really proud to be part of the ship. They weren't. They just created a system and a set of actions that made them manufacture pride. And then Marquet would share to his crew, Hey, check out our evaluation. We're proud to be here. And they went, Oh yeah, I guess we are. So you can actually act your way to new thinking, brilliant stuff. And then systems that if you put a good person in a bad system, the system prevails. So we need to see if the systems are actually in favor of our purpose and our people. And if not, you need to do everything in our power to change systems or work within them.
1: Shed, I, I have a feeling we're just barely scratching the surface on what you have to share. Part two, coming soon, perhaps. But we do have a favorite final question before we get into the lightning round and ask you some personal things. What should we have asked you, but we didn't?
0: <laughs> so there's two components of a speak-up culture. So the question of, great, we're bought in, speak-up culture, wonderful, how do we do it? There's two I don't know if they're levers, but it's a cyclical relationship. One leads to the other, which then leads to the originator. And you have this wonderful sort of propelling uh, drive. And the two pieces, the two actions are encourage and reward. So inside of organizations where there is a speak up culture, people feel encouraged. I like to think of speaking up, as it's like making the decision as a wrestler to like open the ropes and go into the ring and the lights are on you, even if it's a one-on-one conversation because speaking up never is without fear. That's why I harp against the term fearless leader, never met one. Fear is important. If it weren't for fear, we wouldn't have courage. Leaders feel the fear are connected to something, a cause, human beings more important than that fear and they press on. And I also find that courage is often described in the rearview mirror. Like we've all done things in our life and career that have, that have been courageous, but it's not like I'm gonna courage up now. You do something that's like, there's no other choice and then others describe it as courageous thereafter. And so encourage and reward. Encourage means is you do the voice calculus, which is a concept coined by professor Ethan Burris of is it worth the risk to voice? Is it worth the risk to my reputation, to my job, to my relationships, to speak up? And then am I rewarded? Rewarded doesn't mean promotion, pay raise, and a statue erected in your name. Reward means thank you. Ha, that must have been hard to share. I appreciate it. We didn't implement your idea, but here's why. And it was a good idea. Keep it coming oh, I failed to tell you that strategic initiative, but it was good, keep it coming. Those are all versions of rewards. And then the best part is it ripples. So Jason, if I report into you and I'm like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna speak up, I'm gonna share my concerns, share my idea. And if I report back to you, Ira, and I said, it went great, I was rewarded, you should do it
2: too. It ripples. Perfect. And Shed, I can't believe that the time has gone by. We definitely want to do a part two with you, but in the rest of the time that we do have, let's do our lightning round segment so we can help Googleization Nation get to know Shed on a little bit more of a personal level. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Let's start with some easy ones before we get into some harder ones here. Okay, Here we go. First one,
0: favorite band. So that's not an easy one because I come from a very musical family, but I will say because ticket sales are just beginning, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, a gospel of hope in a world that needs it.
2: Nice. Now, you said you came from a music family. What would your maybe your parents' or your siblings' favorite bands be, you think?
0: My brother works in the industry, so that's a loaded question. We've all bonded over over Bruce concerts. I think amongst the, my parents and my three siblings, I think we've been to a collective of probably nearly 100 shows. So we're well-toured. But talking heads, Paul Simon, lots of good oldies there. How about a favorite animal? I most appreciate the eagle. And the reason I most appreciate the eagle is because the eagle is the only bird that has the ability to use the power and strength of a storm and to literally fly above it. All other birds hide or try to fly away, but the eagle will actually use the force of the storm to rise above it, which I think is a pretty darn cool idea.
2: Number three, let's take you back to high school. What would some of your classmates be surprised to see about you now? I think my classmates would be surprised that, that part of
0: what I do is this and speak for a living. I grew up as a kid with a stutter. I still do have a speech impediment. I married a speech-language pathologist. Good choice, especially for my kids. So I think my classmates would be surprised that I feel comfortable sitting or standing up in front of people and having conversations
2: like these and ira that is consistent with all of our other guests when we ask that they're professional speakers and they say everyone would be surprised that i'd speak and get paid to do it for a living and last one shed as we wrap up here we talked about how you did get to do some work with simon sinek and he was a mentor and a friend any stories that you can share that would be funny stories or interesting things in your time with Simon that would be interesting to the audience, you think?
0: Something I'm really proud of from my time there is what happened out of the pandemic. When the pandemic hit in March of 2020, our business model imploded. What we did was we hopped on planes and we went into rooms and events and wherever and did talks and workshops live. I remember the week of It would have been what March 13th was when Tom Hanks got it or March 12th. So the following week, which would have been March 16th, I had three speaking gigs and one by one, they all fell off. And so we came together as a team of 20 or so people. And it was Simon who gave us a nice framework to save the company. He said, this is how much time we have in terms of cash. He said, we're clear on our vision, our cause of a more inspired, safe and fulfilled world. It was a Monday it was probably Monday, March 23rd, and by the Wednesday, the March 25th, everyone was to come back with 15, 1-5 new ideas of how we could create new revenue, serve our end users, and advance our cause. And it was this hour 45-ish meeting that was brilliant, which gave us all the ideas that we needed to literally reinvent the organization and create a viable path ahead. And one of the biggest initiatives we did was to open up a public classroom. So there are so many fans of Simon's work all over the world that previously, the only way you would get to engage with him is if you watched a YouTube video or were at a company that brought him or our team in. And so we just democratized it. We said, anyone who wants it can get it. And we created these Zoom auditoriums. And it was amazing to to meet so many wonderful people and to see community develop all over the world of people who are champions of a more inspired, safe, and fulfilled world. So that's a real sort of shining moment of scrappiness,
2: of innovation, and of, of living what it is that, that, that we preach. Absolutely. Living out your values. I love it. And reinforcing there. And so as we get ready to wrap up here, Shed, uh, real quick, just the name of your book again for our listeners and when they can expect that to be out and then some ways that they can get in touch with you. Speak Up Culture, When Leaders
0: Truly Listen, People Step Up should be out fall of 2023. We're about two thirds the way done the manuscript. So we're on target and you can learn more shedinspires.com. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only at present, the only Steven Shuletsky in the entire world. So if you Google me, you will find me speaking of Googleization and I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So feel free to connect.
2: No doubt you are one of a kind shed. So thank you for for coming and being part of the show with us today and sharing these insights on a speak up culture with Googleization Nation. Thanks so much, both. A treat to join you. Hope the conversation
0: is valuable to Googleization
2: Nation.
1: Jason, I, I got a whole list of takeaways here, but what were some of your favorites?
2: The biggest one where it was an aha light bulb moment for me was when he was talking about courage. That oftentimes courage is that thing that in the moment you're just doing what you think needs to be done. You're just trying to do the right thing. You don't think it's courageous. But then after the fact, that's when people will ascribe or attribute that description of courage to the thing that you did. That was a really big aha moment for me that we need to focus on just doing the right things in the moment. And so trying to be cognizant of those moments when we're doing something may be challenging. Trying to use more of the word courage in the moment can be really helpful, it sounded like, in in building a speak-up culture. How about you?
1: Well, there were two things. And one of them, well, actually, there were multiple things. One of them was courage. Uh, I've been told I was so courageous for leaving my profession and doing things I didn't think it was, I thought it was just a a stepping stone of the decision I made. But other people apparently didn't have were fearful of that more fearful than I was of that, and they believed they had courage. So I think that was phenomenal. But the two things that struck out to me, one was turning value into a verb. And the other one was and it just slipped this in at the end. And I thought, I'm definitely going to be using that when we talk about growth mindset. Is it worth the risk The voice? So when we talk about not necessarily growth mindset, but talking about it, creating a psychologically safe space, is it worth the risk to voice, my opinion? If people give it on a rating, of one to 10, it's a one-word psychological safety poll. But here we are at the end of another episode, and we've had phenomenal guests, and we're so fortunate. And maybe that's one of the reasons we keep climbing in the number of listeners in the audience, and we're very grateful for Googleization Nation and all all the people who tune in and for all the guests who are willing to take an hour or or so out of their busy day and to share this. So we want to thank everybody for being part of it. We want to thank everybody also to remember, if you're interested in SHRM credits, that you can go to GoogleizationNation.com And on the upper right, you can click on the link to a short questionnaire, fill it out and complete that. And also while you're there and join Nation.
2: I'm Jason Cochran. You've been listening to Geek
1: Skeezers Googleization. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.